Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast, presented, of course, by Esports Network. I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today I'm joined by Charles Spencer. Charles is a grad assistant for the Rec and Intramural Esports program at Eastern Michigan. And I'm excited to talk to Charles because while we have talked to some collegiate esports organizers in the past, like Mark Deppie at UC Irvine, most college programs are way closer to where Charles is working, not where UCI is at right now. So if you're a current college student, this is the sort of program that your school is probably looking to open up or may have already opened up. So Charles, thank you for joining me, man. Yeah, thank you. No problem. I'm glad to be here. So how did you get to this role at Eastern Michigan? I know you were working in the past for younger kids in New York. How did you land at Eastern Mish? So I was at a crossroads in my life after uh, the, the creating the uh, middle school esports league um, for NYXL and kids in the game. Um, and then I was looking up possibilities and opportunities and then uh, they was looking for a grad assistant for the very new esports program here at uh, Eastern Michigan. Uh, they were looking for a guy that really could take over the day-to-day stuff and really help build tournaments and intramural events and subsequently get club teams together and going here at Eastern Michigan so we could face off against other schools. So I got the call. I, got, I put in my email, did my uh, did my resume and stuff and really uh, got the call a few weeks later, got a few interviews, and I got offered the job around March. Very cool. What sort of infrastructure did they have in place when you got in? Was there some things already in the works, or did you come into absolutely nothing and have to build from the ground up? So, it wasn't exactly absolutely nothing. They had plans. So, we we kind of are planning together to uh, get an esports space open in the next few months. Um, they already they are on the process of getting the computers and will be in an esports space in the library, the Howie Library, down over in the ground floor. And also, overall, it's kind of a program that's still, besides that, I still have to really build the program and really get together the right people and stuff. And, and I got a great staff going, too. So I had to get the staff going, um, create some partnerships, which I'm still working on. Also, we are in a bigger a big partnership with the only video game student org in the school, which is the EMU Smash Club, and they play Smash tournaments uh, every week over in a place called Prairie Herald over uh, across the other side of the school. And I'm helping them out with getting their brand new together and also getting together to have an Eastern Michigan uh, Smash Brothers team to play October 12th over in... Uh, at Michigan State for the Collegiate Star Ladder. Very cool. That's very similar to how most collegiate esports programs are operating right now, is that this has always been popular on college campuses, and there were a lot of smaller clubs, usually around individual games. And so this is this is happening really across the nation at every college, is they're trying to bring all the esports people in under one program, under one roof. What are some of the challenges with that? Have you encountered any issues working with 
already established clubs and trying to bring everything together? Or is everybody then like, yes, please, let's get some formal support and we'll all create an Eastern Michigan esports team and then we'll still focus on our individual games through that? So it's been positive so far for the most part. I mean, uh, I've talked to Campus Life. They're interested in doing a couple of collaborations. They kind of have a game night of their own that they do every week overall that they're working on. Um, and a couple other uh, clubs that I'm trying to talk to. And uh, I got a meeting with the housing director tomorrow to see if, like, some do some with the battles, like, the dorms between and gaming-wise. Uh, and like I said, we only have one video game org, which is uh, League. I'm not sorry which is Smash Brothers, so making that relationship with the Smash Brothers Club was pretty easy, and they really wanted to really, uh, they were really embracing that. We also started our own Discord, which is right now over 65, stu- 65 people, made up students, alumni, uh, faculty, that's into gaming, and really, we got different games all over the place and really put together, and, and that was mostly created by my staff, um, I have a couple, I have a great graphic designer in Cal who did great work on creating our first esports big tournament in October. We're doing the Halloween Smash uh, on Halloween night. So people are coming dressed as different people, uh, cosplaying and playing a lot of great Smash. And hopefully we can get that together um, and continue doing different things like that. We also have watch parties. We just finished up, we just had our Overwatch League Grand Final watch party on Sunday, and now we're going to work toward our League of Legends World Championship Grand Final watch party in November. And hopefully in the next month or two, we can get towards our space where we can actually do bigger things, where we do intramural events, where we could do land within the school, and subsequently have teams face each other online at least. Uh, other schools like Central or Western Michigan, uh, and you and University of Michigan, which is across the way in Ann Arbor. Definitely. So if you're a current college student, I encourage you to look for some of these things because I've seen this across the country and people are organizing these watch parties. So if you're someone who's big into esports is entering college uh, right now, maybe could be your first couple weeks of school. I know my brother just went back to school at the University of Oregon. So if you're a current college student listening to this podcast, go check out and look for somebody doing what Charles is doing for Eastern Michigan because it's probably happening on your campus. And those events are a great way of really connecting with the other esports fans. Uh, If you're in your dorm or something, watching a game's fun, but getting out together with a large group of fans and rivals is really what esports is all about. Uh, so definitely, if you're on a college campus, check, look for those watch parties, and hopefully you have somebody like Charles who is organizing those things for your campus. So, Charles, I wanted to ask you, you came from working with middle schoolers, and I'm really interested how it changes from an educator's perspective, working with and organizing college students versus wrangling uh, middle schoolers. So how, how has that transition been just in the two groups of people you're working with? For one, it, it doesn't have, it doesn't feel like you really have to truly guide these kids. Um, these students, uh, for middle school students, it was rough that you really had to, it was rough in a way that they came with so much energy. They were all over the place and it really got them to a point where they were feeling, um, 
they get overwhelmed or they weren't interested at all. That it was up and down. With the college students, you just have to really point, and they really, they really have the excitement to really do more. They want to do more with the with what they have. I mean, like I said, with Discord, they're definitely getting great suggestions. They're definitely one to get part of it. My most of my, some of my staff wants to create their own club teams for games like Overwatch and uh, CS:GO that we're working on. And you know, overall, between those two differences, it was it was a bit less maintenance here in college than actually in the middle school. I know I I'll say this: I kind of see the the molding more in. You can mold people more with like understanding the world of esports in middle school, that you can see that how they can become better in that sense. Um, in college, it's kind of they have all these classes that they're going to as students, and their set major, they're already in a sense almost with, almost truly molded themselves, for the most part. Unless they're like freshman or sophomore, they're still trying to really understand things and look into like different careers. But for the most part, it's. It's really understanding like where they can get better and really find a career and stuff, and it's easier for them to. It's easier for the middle school kids I dealt with to really let them see what other things they can do with the current with the current gifts that they have for themselves, for lack of a better word. Yeah, it's easier. (laughs) Few things about middle schoolers are easy, but it is definitely easier to get them excited about some career opportunities whereas somebody who's already on a pathway to be a marine biologist or something i just pulled something completely out of left field but they're pretty set on that pathway so they're not really looking for esports opportunities more of a a recreational hobby or an outlet like that right and you know some you have the you have the few that do i mean most of my staffers are already set to be like graphic designers in a different way. One of them, Cal, wants to be interested in working in comic books and stuff like that, but he still loves video games. Um, and But there's a couple of my staff, like Zach, for example, wants to manage a team in esports and be an esports manager of that sort. So it's really, it, it's really too, to really get a chance to help these college students to really understand where they can make their impact and show what connections that I can help them towards so they could get to where they need to be in their careers for my staff and also people who are in the program that's interested in doing more in gaming and esports. Yeah, definitely. Have you noticed a difference in the type of game they're interested in? So you're working with kids who are, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old. Is there a different genre or focus for those kids versus the kids you're meeting at Eastern Michigan? That's funny. Um, this is as interesting. That's interesting because as much as like I was thinking out here more about different games. Yeah, we got a lot of a good solid Overwatch contingency. Smash is still the most notable part in the school. Like I told you, the only video game club in the school is Smash. Just like my middle school, who I, even when I came in starting, they were playing Smash Brothers, and they were enjoying Smash in that way. And that's that's interesting how it follows you, writing games like Smash and Street Fighter, mainly because of the the aspect of like how you can actually sit and talk to people and more than any other game out there in a sense. I believe it's just that social connection you can get with fighting games of that fighting games overall. 
there was also this yearly, uh, this yearly, I want to say, uh, event called Gamers for Giving. You know, the gamer outreach guy, the founder and head of it is an Eastern Michigan graduate. And he comes back to Eastern Michigan every year to do this event at the Convocation Center. And a lot of different games are highlighted. I want to say that Smash is one of them. And it, ha it keeps people involved and that know that gaming still here is here at Eastern Michigan. And they're still interested in it. And also, again, it's, I just think that it's this classic sense of the fighting game community will always find a way. They've been surviving through many of the tough years through different ways and lack of development support, and they did their own thing. And I just think this is another example of it. Yeah, the the FGC is definitely such an interesting case study in esports where they claim they're not esports. I don't know where you stand. Actually, I'll ask you, where do you stand on that debate? So many members of the FGC say we're not esports and I've broken that down in past episodes, but where do you stand? Are, is, are fighting games esports, or are they their own thing? Well, I, I think that I stand where... <laughs> I never thought about it before. Um, I always labeled them, in my own way, a part of esports because it's the very base of it. They're competing against each other. I... I like to look at competition. I like to look at sports and esports as a way of competition entertainment. And they are competing against each other to win a game overall. Like if you if I really strip it down, which I usually do, they're just come. They just strip it towards a point where they are competing. They're playing against each other, trying to get better. Therefore, I think they're esports all the same. I would I would tend to agree with you. It's a lot of the FGC purists who are who don't enjoy the you know, they they've been doing it grassroots for so long that the crazy franchise stuff that's happening in esports, they want to distance itself because it's not the FGC that they grew up with and grew to love. And the FGC is so unique in their fans and right. the scene of their of their game. So I understand them not wanting to be bundled in with the whole esports scene, but ultimately they fit the technical definition of what an esport is and with so much money entering it i feel like now is the time to be like yes we are esports but we are our own subset of esports franchise fees or whatever other undesirable aspect of esports is out there for people who yeah you know, like i said it's it kind of comes all the way down toward the the fact that it's it's a part of competition entertainment and I don't know why people don't really think about it like that because, I mean, I know because, you know, they like to say they're so unique in their own way. But overall, it's not bad it be part esports because of the competition and the community that, that is still in gaming, you know? Just that overall feeling of competition entertainment is what I really look at it as and to be a good thing for gaming. Yeah, I definitely agree. So you're at Eastern Michigan. I'm curious, they already had some plans in place for faculty. When I was in school, you know, two to three years ago, I was talking to the faculty members at the University of Oregon trying to, you know, where's where's eSport at? Where's eSports at at this school? Is this something we're interested in? And now in the last year, it's become a bigger thing. 
the UO Esports Club. They're getting a little space in the EMU. But how is your conversation with faculty members as you try and figure out what this esports program needs? Have you found that the faculty members are receptive or is there still some education that needs to be going on? Because I remember a lot of uh, a lot of face palming when I was in some talking to some admins at U of O a couple of years ago. It's it's slightly better here. Um, we have a major called uh, it's called I want to say simulation, animation, and gaming. Um, and with that, I usually I have a couple of professors that I talk to about. Uh, yeah, simulation, animation, and gaming. I'm so glad you said that right. Um, I we that I work with a lot that I talk to um, the IT for dining, who's a faculty member here, help help with gamers outreach to help make sure that the Gamers for Giving event that we do is run smoothly as possible. Um, and that, that's been always an interesting charity event. I mean, I heard about it lately in the past. I didn't know where it was at. I, and I remember Gamers Outreach because of the gaming carts, which is funny because I wanted one of my, I wanted the school that I was at for the youth esports to help do a fundraiser to help to have the second gaming cart in New York City, because at the time, the only gaming cart they had was in Staten Island. So I wanted one in the mainland, namely in Brooklyn, but we never could pull that off because we, it just stalled. Um, so overall, I mean, it's been pretty good with most of the faculty. They, they see the interest that the students have in it, and they see the potential that it can bring towards school. And... I haven't really had any issues yet, but I haven't talked to enough faculty members yet. Too. It's only a matter of time, man. It's only a matter of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it does help, like you said, to have an important alumni who's involved with this space and to have professors who understand the space. Those are the people yeah. who can push it through because the admin, the faculty, they need a professor to be ultimately an overseer of it. Or I guess in, in this case, you'd be that. But it helps to have somebody who's been there for a while who can vouch for esports. And it's like, yeah, you know, I'll I'll look after this program and you guys could take your hands off of it. That's been the most important key factor in the programs that took off very early, like Boise State, Ohio State, UC Irvine, Robert Morris, University of Utah. Mm -hmm. All those programs have a computer, big computer science wings and two and B, uh, they had some sort of faculty member who saw the esports growth rate, and they were able to position themselves as leaders. And you know, where's Eastern Michigan at? You think you guys can, uh, if you get on this train, you're gonna start competing uh, in TESPA events and and something else? I know you only have Smash right now, but you know, you hoping to become a competitive program in the years to come? Yeah, I want to find a way to get towards. So. We overall unique um, unique deals with uh, work with different uh, collegiate esports leagues uh, right now again we can only do smash but we got some interesting things in the wheelhouse coming ahead in the future that I can't say um, that believe me I wish I could say more but I can't but it's going to be very interesting and very much different, a little bit, di a little bit different, 
and and really gets the whole region together, esports wise, in collegiate form. So we're very excited to work in that in. But right now, we're just very excited about October 12th and hoping that the we get everything together well enough to really hope that the Smash team's ready to go out towards Michigan State and do well. Definitely. I love to see uh, the giant group uh, events such as like when different states all get together and hold the best of the state. Especially Smash already has so much infrastructure in individual states like they have individual state power rankings which is definitely a cool thing for uh, colleges to draw in on and be like oh where do where do our players rank on the state power rankings for smash bros that's a it's a cool little feather in the cap of a of a program yeah and the, the best thing honestly is for schools like Eastern Michigan you guys aren't a power five program you know you're in traditional sports, you're always going to be overshadowed by Michigan and Michigan State. But because esports is so new, these is the these are the kind of areas where you can really make competitive progress. You only need, you know, one really good Smash Bros player to win a tournament. You only need uh, five League of Legends players who are, have great chemistry and work well together to go far in that. And we've seen a lot of the smaller schools progress very far in esports and it's cool to see more of a level playing field where it's not the massive football program with entrenched mm -hmm. recruiting esports you can be very mobile and if you invest in it from a faculty perspective especially at a smaller school it can be a way to compete at the highest level in a way that you know is not possible in traditional athletics yeah i mean overall it's really and there's also opportunity within this part of the region because Michigan is still a new program. They they may have something called Arvin Esports, which was student run for all these years. And of course they were a part of like the Big Ten League of Legends League. But now they're really truly embracing esports as a entity that they can do more on rather than just one thing. And more than ever they're doing they're getting themselves a program together. I've just talked I a few weeks ago I talked to Sidney Barton, who was a grad assistant for their recreation esports program that Jay just started. She's building the staff. She's still working on the specifics and getting everything together towards what they have to do with esports in that place. So they're it's pretty new, um, and it's exciting. You know, this part of the state that really can get involved. I know Western has a very established program, an arena that I'm supposed to go to November 10th. I think yeah, no, November 4th. November 4th. Yeah, tenth is League of Legends World Finals, so you don't want to be uh, you don't want to be moving that. That's the watch. That's when the watch party is. Um, but no, November fourth, I'm gonna go to the the arena for Western, and we're all gonna and it'll be like a, a collegiate esports meetup that they're gonna tour us their arena, talk about what they're doing with their program, and we get to talk to other programs around the region as well. So that should be an interesting ordeal too. That will be that'll be really interesting. So the final thing I wanted to talk to you about is actually, it's something that only came out this last week, and I don't know if you've seen this, but the California passed a law or a bill saying that student athletes could possibly get paid based on their likenesses in the NCAA, and it's going to have really important ramifications for traditional sports, but it's also going to have really important ramifications for esports. So when I was talking to Mark Deppie, you know, the reason the NCAA 
is hesitant to put full weight behind esports. There's a couple of reasons. One, the lack of a governing body, which the NCAA would become, but they don't have anybody else to work with there when they're dealing directly with the companies creating the games. But two is the prevalence of Twitch streams. And when you can't get paid based on your likeness in a game, that means that no college player under the current NCAA rules would be allowed to stream on Twitch or I guess accept donations or any ad revenue. And that clearly poses a massive problem because the best esports programs are not going to want their players to not be allowed to stream on Twitch or make any revenue from their games and players. Let me stop you right there one quick second because I, I have some interesting things about that. We were talking, so oddly enough in my grad school class, we were talking about this and our our professor is a lawyer um, that works in the dealings of uh, athlete player rights and he says that all this is familiar to past laws that states have created and the NCAA in a, in a few years kind of just created a deal and actually shut this down the problem is with all of this is that different states are doing this stuff for example they're doing something like that in new york in a little bit different way but it hasn't really created a sense of context that could make this work truly for the ncaa to make a change one of the interesting suggestions actually that came into this was treating student athletes like state employees i put out that idea yesterday during our class and because the the ncaa rule with student athletes is actually benign and also very uh broad they can't define student athlete under law and if the state says they're state employees the ncaa can't re- can't change that they can't um go against that they have to treat them more like employees of the state and that leads a uh, trickle effect towards private schools who can make a different definition, seeing their top student athletes go to different parts, go to state institutions, and they have to think about do we also treat them like employees then? That's the true change. This, which you see, it's a little bit of an illusion because given a few years, the NCAA finds some weird way to make that to shut it down for themselves and that's what like that's what basically my lawyer told me like there's stuff like that they've done it in the, they tried in the past but it hasn't worked and he doesn't feel this is much different interesting and, okay most of the so, most of the conversation i've seen around it has said that this i mean it's also california i don't know i i think there's a there's a potential that this continues going up the chain of command and somehow ends up in the Supreme Court. I don't think that's out of the realm of question, in which case it could change how collegiate athletics work across the country. But maybe the NCAA uses their massive NCAA power and shuts it down like yeah, you do. And the thing is, too, it would have to take something bigger. To, like, it would have to say, take something really to make that go that far. Because, they, like for example, the abandoned case, they tried to get it to the Supreme Court as well, and that's one of the bigger landmark cases. But the Supreme Court said the Supreme Court didn't hear their case. So even with that, it's actually very complex for even to get. It would have to really make a difference in a big way for the students. A big thing is really, honestly, 
just simply do a, a school-wide boycott, a big school like an Alabama or uh, Ohio State straight boycott and work together towards, hey, we want to get paid. The student-athletes themselves ha- is the bigger achievement in all this to really create that true change, not the things around it. It's just the things around it who's trying to help them change, the NCAA can actually deal with that. If the student-athletes actually rose up truly, almost like what Northwestern did, but they kind of did it in the wrong way because they try to be a union. Right. If they do, it, that's make the difference. That would be the difference maker. Yeah, that but would... That would carry so much weight if... Right. But overall, within the esports context, the way NCAA is not being the esports in their sense, that's huge. And that's good. Because I don't think that the game developers themselves would want the NCAAs involved in this sense, seeing what they go through. You see what, um, with exclusivity and what Valve is doing themselves, they actually came out with a... With a blog with a blog post saying we don't want this exclusivity stuff in our place. Get that out of here. And now, of course, you can't get that with Overwatch or God because the ones who do the exclusivity have to develop themselves. But if overall, if Valve, who usually is laissez-faire on most things, saying coming out and saying stamping their ground and saying no exclusivity. If the NCAA starts really coming into trying to do something like this and see, and people will go to Valve seeing what the NCAA does with their student athletes and the preservation of amateurism, they wouldn't want that involved in there. They wouldn't want that mess in there. They, they would definitely come out and say, you do not have the right to play our game unless you change your stuff. So I think that another thing that the NCAA sees, that whole preservation of amateurism uh, stance would not work in uh, would not work in esports because the developers themselves wouldn't believe in it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that makes a lot of sense. It's a it's going to be an interesting period of time for collegiate athletics, and how whatever it shakes out will be will be something worth watching and could have potential ramifications for esports. But you're right. The as esports continues to grow. And NCAA hasn't put their weight behind it now, but the different conferences are. Maybe they missed the ball entirely, and everyone's just like, "Nah, you guys don't actually need to join this. We, we're good. We built up our own structures. Like, you guys stay out of it. Go yeah. do your thing. You've got plenty of things to worry about." Yeah, because overall, with the greens or like conferences, they they seen this differently, and it's blowing up more and more with the issues with the NCAA that currently have with student athletes and ever since the early 80s and their decision on that 131 million dollar deal that made that they made with college football and all that stuff and and just overall how that works for esports and the future of it it's just the standing of NCAA just does not work in their world and nor should it and nor should it be a part of that because overall simply the the streamers and the student athletes and these gamers deserve to get their bag. They deserve to get <laughs> their money and their value. Get that bag. People talk about a selfish way of thinking and all that stuff. No, no. It's about them getting their value as employees and, and people who put their butts on the line 
do so much for their work to do this, and yet they're getting next to nothing, and all these other things around it that they say they get. Stop. No. That's that's all an illusion. A, 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 a divulged illusion that people want to give to the student-athletes because it's just been a part of the American tradition, as some judges would say. It's just, I look at that stuff, and I'm thinking, what? <laughs> These guys are basically treated like employees. They they should be paid like employees. They should be employees a part of these things. Yeah, so. name one other person in this country who works for that much and makes so much revenue for an institution that is not compensated. And don't give me the scholarship stuff. Yes, I know scholarships are having them. But come on, you look at players like Kyler Murray for Oklahoma. You know how much money that dude generated last year? Millions upon millions of ticket sales, raising the ticket prices, concessions, all to watch him play on the Oklahoma Sooners football field. Pay the man his money. He deserves to get compensated somehow. Right, and you see the example of Johnny Mantell over his two, three, I think it was like three years at Texas A&M to create generated of revenue around $45 million and helped towards big contracts for the SEC and, well, what Big 12 turned into SEC, they moved, and all these stuff, all these, all these revenue in, in all these revenue generators of names, concessions, and like you said, stadiums that fills up with fans every Saturday. And all he gets is a scholarship and a place to stay. Now, I understand. He was he had a family rich in his own way. Tim Tebow who comes out with all this uh, all this jibber-jabber. Oh, I about hated all that. that other stuff. Don't forget, rich dad, rich family. The guy next to him most likely didn't have any of that. That came out of extreme poverty. That that worked himself in high school, and and now he's working this hard, eight hours a week, ever as a student and a student athlete, eight hours a day. I'm sorry, eight hours a day, whether it's a student and a student athlete, putting it all on the line, and they don't get a part of what, for example, uh, for basketball, NCAA gets a deal with CBS for ten billion dollars. Yeah. Coaches like Rick Pitino got a $66 million uh, contract. The highest paid state employee in about half of the states is a football or basketball coach. It's a fact. The University of Oregon's, or the the state of Oregon's highest paid state employee is, I'm assuming it's still crystal ball. It was Chip Kelly and Mark Helfrich in the past two years. You go across the country and you look up a stat, it is either, basically either the dean of the medical school or their football or basketball coach. And that's right. that's a crime. And, and you're like, you want to make them state employees, you might as well make the student-athletes that. You might as well make the players on the field who make these plays happen for these coaches a student, a state employee, and make that work towards that. And that was my overall thought of it. And it just I just feel like states tried to work around this before. I don't... But overall, what really can make the move is the players themselves and the fact that they need to find a way to come together and boycott and truly boycott it. And They can't the do it, though, man. Conferences look at the deals and TVs. It won't. I just I don't see how because the problem is they don't have enough time is you're coming into a school. And so the people that matter are the people who are going to get drafted. You know, those are the guys generally that need to be leading a boycott if it's a bunch of 
you know, if the University of Chicago and like 10 Stanford players boycott, it's not going to do that much. It needs to be the biggest ones, but they're also the guys that then can they afford to risk a boycott and then still assume they're going to get drafted? Who knows? They may have, it's tough. How do you, how do you convince one generation to give up on what everybody else before them didn't do and they give up on that just to make it better for the people after. It's asking a lot. It is a lot, and that's understandable in the feelings of the way. That's why I think it's just it's that in-between of do I make this risk? Because look at Colin Kaepernick and what he did and then how the NFL reacted to that and how the, how the rest, how he basically lost his career so others can do what he did and not. And yeah, it's true. It's, a, it's actually a really good analogy for this, where it's you're protesting That's, something and it clearly has dramatic ramifications, even though Colin Kaepernick was peacefully protesting it. He's no, he hasn't been a quarterback in, in the NFL for four or five years now. Right. And ever since people have done the same thing, they can't be another person that can blackmail a player for peaceful protests like that. And that's because of Kaepernick. Now, think about it if it's a whole team. And, you know, the thing is, too, to look at it, too, the way they can really put it for themselves is they can really they really come together and really talk about this stuff to other people, that whole team. That helps them as brands. And it also helps them at the time we're now in with the Twitter and the Facebook and the overall other social media outlets. They can take advantage of that and still make careers out for themselves and plus the xfl is starting to come happen and i'm iffy about it but it it actually could be perfect timing for them and what and how the x they can join the xfl in a way of helping them with their pr and saying hey we're not the nfl we'll actually would let these players be drafted and have careers and respect what they're trying to do with the in them uh Boycott the NCAA's uh, amateurism, even though Oliver Luck it was a former commissioner of the Pac-12 and all that jazz. Yeah, I. Who knows how it goes? This this esports network podcast somehow turned into a discussion of amateurism and NCAA football. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that's on. It's a, we were having a good discussion. Um, but we're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, thank you for listening to people who. Came in for esports and ended up with a a different discussion. I guess we 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 spent some time on esports there. I do think something needs is gonna need to give for NCA to to ever get into the esports world. Otherwise, it's gonna stay on this current path, which is all community organization. And hey, maybe that's the best thing for collegiate esports. I could absolutely see that being the the best possible option. And this is where it comes back towards collegiate esports because the gamers and the uh, gamers and what I want to do like having also streamers under the under our Eastern Michigan esports scale. I want to have like a different set of like Twitch and stuff, and that helps them. That helps them actually get a, get like a career for themselves through streaming, through esports, more in that collegiate sense when if the NCAA ever truly got their hands on it and try to create their own system in esports. So overall, because the NCAA didn't want to get into esports, this doesn't really constitute that issue. 
it's not really relevant towards it right now, and I don't think they'll ever will. Yeah, which is a it's a huge missed opportunity for the NCAA. It really is. Just seeing the support that's out there at every college campus. If they were smart and they were nimble enough, they would have aligned themselves with this from an early on. And, you know, you're right. Now they've given uh, TESPA enough time, like these collegiate organizers, to be completely entrenched and to become totally built out tournament. Like the Riots uh, League of Legends Collegiate Series is a full-fledged organized league. It's got divisions and conferences that play together and get into a an end-of-the-year tournament. Like it is completely built out structure to the point where the NCAA would have to come in and somehow just like take it from them. And that's nearly impossible given Riot's total control over everything League of Legends is. So at this point, it might not even be possible for the NCAA to get in there and take control of these things. It's it's so built up and it's so protected by Riot. That belongs to Riot. That collegiate scene does. And so many teams are already built into it. What? How are they ever going to leave to join the NCAA. Yeah. Who knows? It's an yeah. interesting time in collegiate esports. Charles, you're right on the forefront of it, and I love to see it. If you're a, a Michigan co- college student, go check out the game, the match between uh, Michigan State and Eastern Michigan. That'll be a fun one. Uh, if you're an Eastern Michigan student, go hit up Charles. I'm sure he'd love to talk to you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely down to hear uh, from students, either Eastern Michigan or in the area, about uh, collegiate esports. So yeah, if you're if you're a high school student from Michigan or the surrounding area and you're interested in going to a place that has some esports initiatives, go hit up Charles. That's my that's my suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. We went in a variety of different directions, listeners. I hope you enjoyed. All the different routes that podcast took. I thought it was a nice comprehensive conversation about where esports and amateurism is in the United States right now. So, again, thank you to my man Charles for, for coming on. All right. Thanks. Uh, glad to be here. <laughs> awesome.